Welcome to the Naked Ambition podcast. In this new series titled Generation AI, we've tracked down global tech leaders, machine learning engineers, designers, and agency heads working with and in generative AI. Through these conversations and the experiments we're running with Gen AI tools for design and innovation, we're hoping to cut through some of the noise and hype to understand how this technology can improve the companies we work with and our own work and even lives. In this episode, I speak with Chris McKay, an AI adoption strategist and CEO at Imaginative. With his team for over a decade, he's helped businesses leverage data intelligence and digital strategies for growth. He's passionate about AI literacy and serves as the editor-in-chief at imaginative.com, which is an online platform that provides and curates accessible content on AI trends, applications, and best practices. We subscribe to this site and I definitely recommend it. In this episode, we leverage Chris's passion for AI literacy and we go back to basics on some of the ways that individuals and companies can leverage generative AI. We also chat about some of the risks that we all need to be aware of, including data protection and also some of the hallucinations that large language models can be prone to. We hope you enjoy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Generation AI podcast. I'm so excited here today to have Chris McKay from Imaginative who is going to be joining us for a conversation about generative AI. How are you going, Chris? I'm doing well, Fiona. Thank you for having me. It is so good to have you on the show. We have been following Chris on LinkedIn for the past couple of months, and he's been producing some phenomenal content around what is happening in the space and really breaking it down for people in a way that is super accessible and understandable. So thank you so much for doing that. Let's jump straight in. What do you think, Chris? You're doing a bit of work at the moment in helping both individuals and companies with their AI adoption. What do you think are the tools that specifically enterprise should really be leveraging right now and how? I'll answer it in a couple different ways. I think we're so early in the timeline now for AI that we really shouldn't be too opinionated on specific tools. So when we advise companies, um, we talk to them about the tools that are available on the market, and I'll uh, mention notable ones right now, but we prefer to give them a frame, a mental framework as to how to think through navigating the changes that will likely happen. A lot of the leaders that you're seeing today may not be leaders in four months, in a year, definitely, um, and we're seeing that rapid turnaround. And so rather than being too opinionated today to say, hey, you should use this tool or you have to get um, specialized here, we rather talk to them about processes and how they're going to be building intelligence into their workflows and how they'll need to adapt and be agile as tools will likely evolve. So with that said, some of the tools that we're excited about and ones that our enterprise clients are looking at. Right now, some of them have early access to the Microsoft 365 Copilot systems. Those are a lot of fun, simply because of the integrated nature of uh, Microsoft 365. For companies that um, are already embedded in that space, it makes sense um, to be on a Teams call and to have your Copilot automatically summarize meeting notes and to create tasks. It's just like magic. A lot of companies are also looking to integrate AI tools into their creative workflow. We're seeing marketing companies and marketing teams increasingly look at Midjourney and also Adobe Firefly. They're really excited about Adobe Firefly. Midjourney they're excited about, but some have concerns about copyrightability of some of the content that they're putting out. But 
with Adobe Firefly and what um, Adobe is doing with um, their Photoshop integration, it being um, licensable immediately and available has been a game changer for them. So um, we're seeing a lot of interest in Adobe's Firefly models and how that integrates with existing workflows. And then we're seeing tools on the um, business operation side of things. Tools like Notion and Coda have been doing really well in terms of integrating AI into um, existing workflows. And so being able to use that to generate content or to analyze data super quickly, those are places. And then, of course, every enterprise that we're talking to is interested in ChatGPT and um, GPT models, even if they're not publicly acknowledging it employees are using it they find it to be a great assistant <laughs> to their work and um, they're using it to write to ideate to um to think so we're seeing a lot of use cases in terms of how you can better prompt models like chat gpt and also anthropics cloud some clients already have access to cloud and it's a bit different in terms of its style and tone from um gpt and so we're seeing where some clients prefer cloud versus chat gpt but um, we're definitely seeing uh, a huge uptick in terms of just conversational yeah, models like ChatGPT and Cloud in the enterprise. Beautiful answer. So comprehensive. I want to come back to the prompt engineering around Anthropic and ChatGPT. We'll definitely get into that. Uh, first up, do you want to talk through a bit of the functionality of Adobe Firefly? Because I think that's something that created a lot of buzz over the last couple of weeks. From our perspective, we think I think there's a definite advantage in that as opposed to mid-journey because mid-journey's UI is still frustrating. I think the user experience is also a bit complicated for people, even though the functionality is there. It feels very layered to get down into it to actually do maybe a bit more of that sort of fine-tuning or even, you know, prompt tuning is probably more accurate. Do you find, it's a long way of asking, but do you find the Adobe Firefly UX to be better so far or do you think the capabilities are just more superior is that why people got so excited that's that's an exciting um <laughs> question to dive into so personally i remember seeing mid-journey first and thinking man this is amazing but i was a bit taken aback by the chat interface i think many companies initially they saw the success of um, chat gpt and um, the conversational ui and immediately ran to replicate that sort of user experience. And while it's good for many things, I think you're seeing a lot more success with companies that have been deliberate in building experiences that are optimized for their users' needs. And that's what Adobe has really done well with Firefly. They took their time. They are so far behind the mid-journey in terms of the output and the quality of the product, but their user experience is like second to none. It is unbelievable when you take a new client I'm looking at Adobe Firefly and now with generative fill in Photoshop, it just fits right in. There is like barely a learning curve. Um, if you're already using Photoshop, you're using generative um, fill, it's crazy how easy that is compared to a mid-journey um, UI and UX. And so I, I think the big differentiator between the models that will succeed in the future will be those that leverage human-centered design principles to actually solve problems with AI versus relying solely on the AI to be the product. And so I know Midjourney is working on a, a different UI and a product um, that will hopefully make a lot of this easier. But when you look at what Adobe has done with Firefly and the various models that they um, have been exploring, it's just really tremendous. And uh, additionally, the fact that in the future, Firefly itself 
will simply be embedded into their existing platforms and, and products. Barrier to entry that much easier for um, existing designers, existing creators, etc. Um, they're doing a lot with Adobe Premiere, with After Effects, and um, with Illustrator. So there's a lot coming from Adobe um, with Firefly by focusing on a superior user experience and a clean UI that just really seamlessly fits into existing workflows. That's the differentiator now for um, a lot of enterprise clients. So interesting. It's making me think, and we did promise to talk about prompt engineering. It's making me wonder what this means for the future of prompt engineering as a skill. You know, is this something that, you know, we're going to need to learn to master at the moment? We were just talking before the call, it's a bit of a a wild west out there. I think there's no real authority necessarily on what really works. Do you think you could talk to that a little bit? Because I mean, if if, if these tools are going to become so intuitive, and it will be, a, you know, a basic instruction or a full-blown integration into whatever suite you're already using. Will we necessarily need the skills to be able to tell the AI what to do is the question. And maybe we could even take a step back just for some of the listeners who are really new to this. What are we talking about when we talk about prompt engineering? Maybe start there. Sure. I think prompt engineering, if I were to define it, would be the ability to give instructions to an AI model that will output the results as intended by the um, human that is given the instructions. Over the last few months, you have seen experts really pop up in terms of how they can craft really magnificent um, prompts. If you you think of it, it's it's almost like a work of art. And I often looked at mid-journey initially. I um, used to think of people who said, hey, this is so easy, just going to mid-journey and you tell the AI what to do and it creates um, this. And I, I look at the artwork that was created by um, some artists and I'm like, I am not getting that result. <laughs> so they're obviously doing something completely different and better than I am. And you, you realize that very early on. Similarly with ChatGPT, there are many people that will dive into ChatGPT and they'll look at it and uh, they'll say, hey, this isn't working or they're not getting the results that they want. But at the end of the day, it usually comes down to um, better prompts. And so I, I do think there is going to be a, a space in the near future where um, people who are better at writing prompts and giving instructions to AI will be able to get better results from that AI system. And that's probably primarily due to the fact that we don't know much about large language models as an AI right now. We kind of know how it works, but how they think and how they um the output that they come up with, we, we really don't have that in-depth of an understanding. And so being able to think through how to explore different prompts will be interesting. For example, OpenAI this afternoon just released a paper as to how they can get better math results from existing models by doing chain of thought prompting. And so by asking the models to do a process step-by-step similar to how humans are grounded in chain of thought. They're able to use the same base model and get a better result. And they're thinking this might be a really um, pivotal moment in terms of how they train their models versus what they've been doing previously. And so you're, you're going to see, I think, in the immediate future with large language models that prompt engineering will certainly be needed. I think you will also see companies like Adobe bridge the gap between both. And I'll give you a specific example. When you're in Firefly, let's say I specify I want uh, a photographic or a photorealistic image. The UI updates automatically to select photorealistic 
as a button. So I can either type it or I can click a button that says I want the output to be photorealistic. And so as a UI, that is pretty great because if I'm an advanced user, I can write in my prompt. But if I prefer to just use a UI element in a graphical user interface, that's much easier. And I think you'll find companies that will bridge the gap between both. But of course, as AI gets closer to AGI and get even smarter, um, even before AGI, you will see where it will be able to interpret and understand your specific needs. Um, because how you prompt an AI will be completely different to how I would prompt it, even if we want the same outcome. And so being able to um, have an AI understand and create that output is going to be um, critical. But I, I'm sure you're going to see that in the future, but that won't diminish or take away from the ability for prompt engineers to add value. So for example, even at the coding level, when you're writing maybe your own program to take advantage of an API like GPT, you're going to need to write your own prompts. And so being able to accurately and articulately write a prompt that an AI will leverage will, will still continue to be important. Such a good point, Chris. And you heard it here first. So don't give up on your prompt engineering training. <laughs> it's relevant. Get in there and try it out even if you are early days. Really good point. Staying on that, you mentioned chain of thought prompting. It's one that we absolutely love. It's one we've been playing around with, especially over the last couple of weeks. And there is another great article that we'll link to this that just came out a paper on it, I think, that Chris has mentioned as well, which we'll include in the show notes. We have found that using the chain of thought prompting technique, as Chris said, where it's a series of prompts, just like following the normal logic of a human conversation. So the AI is gathering more information and more context and essentially getting smarter with each prompt. We've also found that adding scrubbed or cleaned data into some of that chain of thought to give it the context up front is quite useful. Have you found that technique as well that, you know, uploading some initial context along with chain of thought can give you a better outcome if it's specifically around, I mean, use cases have been trying to understand a specific customer segment, for example. So uploading clean data around that segment and asking for persona-like outcomes. Have you got any use cases that have worked well? Definitely. I think you may be referencing what is called few-shot learning um, versus zero-shot learning. Most people, they go into ChatGPT and they ask for a result or an answer right away. And uh, the way I explain it to clients is that you want to give the AI time to think. Just like if you were asked something really complex, um, you wouldn't want to just give an answer right away. You'd want to spend some time thinking about the answer. And what Chain of Thought does, it allows you to say to the AI, Think through how you would come up with the answer for this. Think through the different steps. And then let's go through these steps one by one until we come up with the answer. And um, the, the reason why that is important is because a lot of the hallucination that you'll see, if you think of what an AI in a, a large language model is doing, it's really just looking at the probability of what is the best outcome in terms of the next best word, if you're looking at um, language specifically, right? And sometimes it's able to guess and guess the right answer. But the reason as to why that's the right answer is completely flawed. And so with chain of thought um, prompting, it forces you to just look at the logic also and increases the probability that you'll come to the right answer. And so how that works in the real world for some of our clients, let's say um, you're writing an article. You can, one, ask it, it would think through writing the article. What is the um, 
style that it would use, what is the theme of the article, what are the overall conclusions that you want the user to take away from the article. And so by asking it to think through these things first, before you say to it, okay, um, go ahead and write the article, it automatically organizes its thinking and then it now has a frame of reference that it can then take to apply to the article that um, it's going to write. And so um, it's something that I would encourage everyone to try here using a conversational AI rather than just directly asking it for an answer. Go ahead and ask it to think through uh, maybe certain specifics in terms of what the answer should entail. So let's say you're um, thinking of an article. Maybe you wanted to include a teaser, an introduction. You wanted to have certain points, and then you wanted to have a conclusion. Go ahead and ask it to think through those things and even specify them. Or if you're asking it to write an, art, an article based on maybe a source material, um, you can ask it to summarize the, the source material first. What are the most salient points? And then from the takeaway, you can then ask it to write an article. With few shot learning thrown into the mix, basically by giving it additional context, right? In context learning to say, hey, as you're writing this article, think about this context that happened maybe two weeks ago, or think about this perspective, or why don't you critique this point in the article? And so by giving it additional context as it's um, thinking through its logic, it's definitely going to have more to um, work with with that final output. And we've found um, if you also give examples of what writing should look like, what that output should look like, maybe two or three different examples, your final output from the uh, model will be a lot closer to what you're thinking. I think those are good approaches. We use it all the time. One, um, using chain of thought, but also um, few shot learning and in-context learning to ensure that the, the model's output is closer to what we want. So comprehensive, beautiful, Chris. And I think they're really practical tips that if you think to this, I hope people can give it a go. Let's talk a little bit about the human-centered approach to AI adoption, because I think this is this is really interesting and possibly, I know you're from a design background as well. This is where you came up. So design specifically focusing on digital. You've been at it for 10 or so years, so it probably feels like you've been priming for this moment for AI to appear. We also are big believers in the human-centered approach. And I feel like it's almost increasing the relevance again for design thinking and even, you know, in the prompt arena, like thinking about how we yeah. use, we had a conversation yesterday about how do we almost use a design thinking approach to how we create prompts. Talk to me a little bit about how you think organizations should approach the adoption. You touched on this earlier before, but if they're really early to this, and they're trying to think, what do I do in terms of building a capability inside my organization? What are a few of the steps that you would take them through? Sure. I think it's important for companies to not get caught in the hype cycle of AI. I think with the buzz around AI, a lot of companies have reached out to us and they feel like they're behind the ball. They want to get something out the door very quickly. Some companies have produced vaporware, as we call them, or demoware, where it's just a video of a product that doesn't exist. And they're putting it out there, they're getting people excited, and the result and the, the resulting product is going to be far from the capabilities that they're even showcasing. And it's sad, but I, I understand the demand to and the need to move very quickly. But I, I think it's important that companies slow down and, and realize that ultimately their goal is to solve a user problem. And we use it as our North Star whenever we're um, looking at product development and product design. AI, as it is, is a platform. 
is not a product. I repeat that over and over. It's a platform, it's not a product. You applying AI within your application or your fe- as a feature within um, your product doesn't make your product just suddenly better if it's not solving a user problem. And there are many use cases that I've seen where I've seen AI and I'm like, well, why don't you just use search? Why do you need AI to do this? And it's not that the users won't necessarily want AI, but how you're applying it is probably not the, the best use case. A quick example of that, I've seen demos of products that will generate a UI for you based on a description. And so you will describe to the AI the user interface that you want, and it will generate the UI. And while that is important, um, I often think, why not just give them a button that they can click? Why would I want the user to type out and describe what they want to have generated when they can probably just click, okay, I want a mobile app or I want a tablet UI. And so by just thinking through um, how you want your users to explore a feature or experience that a feature is going to be important, but importantly, thinking through what actual problem you're solving is, is key. And so in terms of the steps that we often fall back to, basic design thinking principles, right? Doing, taking the time to define your problem, doing your research, but a lot of user testing, putting the product in front of users, seeing where the pain points are and seeing how you can leverage the benefits of AI in order to um, to solve those pain points. It's not enough today to just say, hey, we have AI in our product. It's going to be so default in a few um, months, maybe a year, to have intelligence in your products that that won't be a differentiator. And so even if you do get a quick bump for a few months, you're quickly going to fall off because people, once they start using the product, they'll realize that they're not interested and you'll lose that stickiness. But if you focus on solving an actual problem, that's where I think there's going to be value. And nothing beats real-world conversations with real people. And from what we've seen, for example, even with tools like MidJourney, there is a big difference between using MidJourney creatively as a hobby for art therapy or just creating things randomly versus using it in production. Because when you have a creative team and you're tasked to create a a very specific scene or um, a a very specific outcome, that's completely different than if you're in mid-journey and you just give it a prompt and you get something beautiful, right? Businesses and enterprises require specificity. And so by helping to think through um, those use cases, I think that's where you're seeing the experience of Adobe really shine over mid-journey. While their product feels very fun, it's very powerful, there is a limit to its applicability in the enterprise um, realm. But when you saw generative fill from Adobe, immediately we had clients that were already using that and applying it to their existing workflows. It solved an immediate need. It was applicable and users didn't have a massive learning curve. And so I, I would encourage companies to take a step back, slow down, think deeply and intently about your users. Think about their needs and what problems you're solving and then look at how you can use AI to accelerate or to augment the solution that you're providing. Yeah, slow down, think and consider it. Yeah, be more considerate about what you want to do. I think it's really sage advice, Chris, because this is, you know, I think both of us probably feel a lot of empathy for the clients as well, feeling like there is almost this, we're in this kind of tech race now where we've got to stand something up and we've got to stand something up really quickly in order to respond. And I think some of the conversations that we're having, that pressure is coming from all corners as well. You know, you've got boards asking, what are we doing to respond to generative AI? You've got leaders asking their teams. And I think what you've just walked us through there is 
it's just a sensible and sound approach and it it's not about the tools and tech first so putting people first i do have one more question thank you so much it's been so valuable if i could add one thing you know um, yeah in terms of just like what we're seeing teams a client came to us and they had like a team of 35 people that they wanted to train and um, they were like hey can you come in and, and can you train um this team and i said well first let's take a step back you have this team spread across sales and marketing and engineering the way they'll apply AI will be different across all their different domains. It's pointless to just have a general workshop for everyone. Let's first have training at the executive level. We'll ensure that the executive team is aligned in terms of what your business goals are and how you think AI can help to either accelerate that or help you to accomplish that. And then let's create a plan for each department, each division, each team, and for how we can best um, apply tools to their existing workflows or talk to them about processes and ways in which they can apply AI to um, augment what they're doing. I think that is the, the more measured approach. It's super easy to think that, hey, everyone needs to be inside of chat GPT or some conversational AI. Or because you're in design, you need to be using MidJourney or one of these generative AI solutions. But ultimately, if it's not adding value, maybe the time is not ready yet for that specific tool. But focusing on AI literacy overall across your team is a first step. And I, I think from there, you will then start to think and um, to be creative in terms of the approaches. And so it all comes back to the human spirit and the human experience at the end of the day. You impress upon your team the opportunity to know, think creatively, even with AI, rather than saying, hey, it has to be done a certain way. How can we apply it in creative ways to our existing flows? And how can we be more productive? How can we communicate more effectively? How can we create better products for our users? Such a sound approach. I think that's, I mean, it's almost impossible to do that kind of workshop. 35 people from four different business units thinking about application. It's going to be absolute chaos. It's really refreshing as well to hear, I think, you know, how sound your principles are. And I think it's, you know, I don't want to underestimate how hard in some cases that is to do, to not get caught up in the hype. And sometimes when you're in this field as well, clients get energized and they get excited and we want to be able to respond and take them on that journey. But I think what you're doing, you know, the ethical and the responsible approach as well as the, it's going to be the better outcome at the end of the day. And it's good that we've got this human-centered framework to anchor us as well. And the, the reality is, Fiona, I do think there are many problems and challenges on the technical side of implementing AI into flows today. There are companies that um, have reached out to us and they're like, hey, we want to build our own model, but they don't have data lakes and properly structured data that they can take advantage of the models. And even so, with LLMs, the idea of embedding or thinking of the context window of um, the data that you're, you're putting in, there are big problems that are um, left to be solved. And so we often ask clients to, to just take a step back and think through why um, they may want a certain approach. For example, there was a client that I um, explained to them the opportunity to build their own product from scratch versus simply building a plugin for ChatGPT because that may be closer to the solution that made sense for them. They're like, oh, you can build a plugin. I'm like, yes, and it's, it probably is a lot easier because you have an API. You may want to explore that before you commit to creating vector databases and, and going down that rabbit hole of um, building out your own model. And as you're seeing with companies like 
Microsoft and Google and Amazon, you're going to be able to build your own models easier in three months, um, in six months, in a year. And so taking your time now to um, properly plan and have at least a working idea as to where you want to go, I think is a much more uh, measured and a responsible approach versus jumping in and saying, hey, let's, let's build our own model, etc." And um, that being said, I encourage anyone who is interested in AI to just build something. Build it on your own, learn to build something. If you're not technical, try playing around with one of the generative AI tools, but start investing in learning. I can't emphasize the importance of AI literacy enough. We have seen what health literacy can do for massive populations, and we have seen what digital literacy can do for companies, how they got left behind with the digital economy. And similarly, now um, today, the, the opportunity is AI literacy. Invest in that for your company, invest in that for um, your people, and it will eventually pay off in wonderful ways in the future. Be less focused on a specific product or tool and be more focused on how you can build healthy AI practices within your organizations and how you can start having the right conversation. Because often a lot of the conversations, a lot of the questions that we're asking maybe aren't the best questions. And once you level up your organization in terms of AI literacy, then you can start asking better questions. You can start working towards better solutions. Focus on the AI literacy, focus on the health of these conversations inside your organization. So smart. Can we just touch on, because you've gone into something there that's really interesting, the, the opportunity for people to consider ChatGPT plugins versus building, standing something up on their own. Can you give a specific example of where that might be be a better option for them to look at plugins and, and what might that involve? Sure. So a couple of thoughts. One, the big consideration for enterprise users um, previously had been, if you're using ChatGPT, your content is going to be used for training. And so you, you wanted to stay clear of ChatGPT as a company and use GPT API instead, where at least you'd have that control over privacy. Now, of course, OpenAI has implemented functions that allow you to uh, remove your, your history and to prevent your data from being used in training. And so that's important. But it all depends on where your users are. And so if you have users that are in ChatGPT already, if you have users that are um, using that in terms of their flow, so for example, if you're a SaaS provider, you're building a product that you know people are using conversational AI bots like ChatGPT. Sure, um, you can have your own bot that lives on your website, but it may make more sense for you to go to where your users are. And so if you have people, um, like I often think of a really cool um, tool inside ChatGPT would be to just reference my Notion documents or my Coda documents from within ChatGPT itself versus having to go to Coda or Notion and then using um, their tool. And so just thinking through your, your users' eyes and where they are focused and how you can provide value to them. And um, with the ease of use in terms of just creating a, a manifest document and then connecting your APIs, um, it may make sense for you to explore that. Also, with a new marketplace comes a lot of discoverability. And so a lot of people are um, going to be looking at plugins. They're going to be trying to find the right plugin, just like when the, the App Store first came out. And so you have an opportunity here to have a lot more eyes on your product to discover what you're doing, etc. And so plugins are still very new, but in the coming months, they're going to become increasingly relevant. So we've got a chance to play around with a bunch of them already and that chance to make some of our own. But I think it all boils down to where your users are 
Um, if it's an internal product that you're building for your employees, obviously it makes sense for you to leverage the GPT API instead. But if you're building for your customers and you know that they're using tools like ChatGPT, why not build something that's a lot easier for you to test, for you to get feedback on, and then to see the demand for that before you build it out as your own product. There are lots of companies that are also just building products that are wrappers on top of GPT. They're claiming that it's something novel. They might be fine-tuning it a little bit with some additional um, context, but it's, it's basically just ChatGPT in the back end doing all the heavy lifting. And so I think especially for companies like those, it may make sense for them to invest in the ChatGPT plugin ecosystem instead versus building products on their own. Smart. And also even, I mean, you've talked about the opportunity to build something internally for your own organization. I mean, that might even be in some cases, if you are considering creating something, using that as a test case, a little bit more risk, less risky rather than unleashing something on your customers as well. Yes. And you, you can also build um, plugins that are not publicly available. And so just, just um, building a plugin, testing it and, and playing around with it, um, I, I think that's uh, definitely a good use case. Can you repeat that last one? I was saying you, you can build plugins that are, are not publicly available. So you can build plugins that are not submitted to the um, ChatGPT plugin store. And so if you wanted to just have a plugin that you wanted to test internally, I think that might be a good way for you to try and dipping your feet into the ecosystem without becoming too invested. Because once you, you start thinking through, well, how are we going to um, send large amounts of data to the API, how are we going to store it? Um, there are lots of other complex problems that you're, you're going to be trying to solve. And so rather than thinking through all of that, just think through APIs, um, how can your API talk to the um, GPT um, API and make it easy and seamless for you to get the information that you want. Where some of my favorite plugins, the Wolfram Alpha plugin, I think it's great for just a lot of statistical data. The browser Bing plugin is, is also pretty helpful. I think there is more work to be done there. But you're starting to see plugins like Kayak and um, other plugins that are making it easier for you to um, find more reach within ChatGPT itself. That's a good one. What are, yeah, what are some of your favorite plugins? Because we haven't had much. <laughs> I think I was trying out, um, there's an AI for that the other day, which I was actually quite enjoying. It's a little bit meta being on GPT and then finding your favourites. But I feel like there's just so much stuff pumping out all the time. Almost as a what are the trends in the space? Like where is the explosion? Where are we seeing kind of critical mass when it comes to the kinds of things that people are building, I think is really interesting to understand. And that was good. Yeah, what are a few of the other plugins that you're playing around with? There are a couple of plugins like Zapier, I think, is interesting in terms of connecting, obviously, third-party tools with ChatGPT. I think a lot of people are interested in plugins that can access data from um, like a PDF. And so there are a couple of uh, PDF plugins, like I think one is called Ask Your PDF or Chat with PDF. There are, there are a couple of those that have been interesting. There's a plugin for um, generating Spotify playlists, which, which has been fun. Wolfram, the Wolfram plugin, I, I think is key for me, especially when it comes to math and um, ensuring that I can have reliable math data. Um, I, I like relying on the Wolfram plugin for now. Obviously, OpenAI is doing a lot of work with um, their math models, but for now, um, I think Wolfram Alpha, that plugin has been great. So those are a couple of them that I really love. To be honest, the vast majority of plugins are still very shaky. I, I think it leaves a lot to be desired. But for the most part, when you find a really good one, you're like, yes, this is great. Yeah, so good. 
There's some really great ones, actually. Chris has mentioned Wolfram there as well. If you are going down the AI rabbit hole and you want to, I think, go to the next layer, Stephen Wolfram has some amazing videos online as well about what is really going on. How does AI work? I found that really helpful to just actually really internalize how this how this whole thing operates. So that's definitely worth a look. Yes. Amazing. Well, Chris, last question. Tell us, you're doing a lot of great work at Imaginative. How can the people listening to this get in touch with you and potentially work with you? So I'm primarily going to be on LinkedIn. If you're on LinkedIn, certainly find me, um, LinkedIn, Chris McKay. You can find us on any of the social platforms, LinkedIn, Twitter, imaginative.com um, or at imaginative, but I would encourage everyone to go to imaginative.com. And we're really focused on building a community that um, has a learning platform in imaginative. And there you'll be able to find resources, whether you're a beginner or intermediate or advanced and you're um, interested in learning AI or leveraging it as an organization. There are lots of tools there. We obviously provide AI consulting services for enterprises. So if you have um, needs and you want us to come in to look at your um, operations to figure out what tools you may um, be able to leverage or what opportunities you may have, we can certainly do that. And then finally, um, we provide training, one-on-one training and also workshops for teams. Uh, So reach out. I'd be happy to help. Amazing. And you can find Chris's details in the show notes below as well. Thank you so much for this conversation. It's been 40 incredibly valuable minutes. I hope the audience has got a lot out of it. I have no doubt that they would have as well. So thank you, Chris. Thanks, you know, uh, it was a pleasure. Um, thanks for having me. 